Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good afternoon, everybody. Coming to you live from the deck of Mighty Sparrow, where I have three winches that have been taken apart and a mountain of corrosion underneath on these plates that are welded onto the mast. So this is after a long day of work in the blistering sun yet again. But uh, yeah, holy cow, the mast has got to come down. Boats. I love boats. I love sailing on boats. I enjoy working on boats. But boy, oh boy, when the bill comes in, sometimes it is, uh, it's pretty bad. So that's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast and uh, some more updates about how things are going and what we're doing. Plus, I'm going to hopefully answer some questions. So before we really get into the depths of this show, I just want to do a big shout out to the old Patreon family, because I think at the end of this month, I am going to be ordering some new microphones and some sort of new driver to be able to record the podcast. Hopefully it comes out a little more clear, a little more concise, a little bit better, you know, just something, uh, trying to up the ante a little bit, see if we can get the audio quality a little more balanced and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, a real decent set up I think is you know around the four or five hundred dollar range and uh, thanks to my patrons I'm able to actually do that and invest back into the show so thank you for for continuing to support the show and hopefully getting me sooner rather than later back uh, or up to a hundred episodes it's right around the corner I think this will be Episode 94, something like that. Um, other than that, if you want to contact the show, head over to sailingintooblivion.com and go to the Contact Us button, and you will be able to email me directly with thoughts, queries, questions, all that sort of stuff. I love hearing from it, and that's what we're going to get to on this show as well. But uh, other than that, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll get started here in just one second. All right, we are back and we are live. Here we go. Holy smoke. So first I thought uh, it would be a good idea to start out with a little update from our friends out there or our friend out there on West Sail Sequoia heading to Tasmania. Had that little pit stop in Hawaii, get all his batteries sorted out, a few other things, but he is now crossed to the equator and is headed down south in a, let's see, where is he headed? Right now, the update on the old predict wind thing says 5.2 knots. Nice. That's pretty good speed. And do 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 last updated on the 11th. Okay. So I'll, I'm going to just read his last post because his posts are kind of interesting. They're, they're a little off the wall. You never know what you're going to get. So dumb things. 240 nautical miles south of the equator, and things are starting to dry out. My clothes now resemble the bed sheets of a pubescent 15-year-old boy. I almost snapped my shirt in half today. But it's still so good to put dry clothes on. Apparently, if you shake the salt out, they're all good to wear again. I don't know if that works for the bed sheets. Yes, actually, it definitely does. I have washed... Many a cloth in nothing but salt water. Uh, then I typically hang it as high up in the rigging as I can with a little bit of breeze. Give it about six hours. And by the time you pull it back down, it is soft, smelling sweet, and has no salt crystals or anything left on it to make it itchy, scratchy, or damp as soon as the temperature drops. I've been thinking a lot, maybe too much, about the Wicked Witch of the West It had never occurred to me before that the old shank had never had a shower. She'd hit middle age and kept going without a bath. She must have smelt like 10 days old roadkill in the summer sun. 
That's a bit weird. He thought she'd been out. See, yeah, sometimes they're a little off the wall. I'm not going to lie. They have references to things that I guess only Tasmanians know. But it does sound like he was, uh, it sounded like essentially he had, he had brought a lot of salt water down below on the boat and into his bunk and onto his clothes and all that sort of stuff. And that's one of the things that I have found out at sea is, is sort of, it's, it's sort of the game. It's the challenge. It's what you're always trying to avoid. And that is bringing salt water down below deck into your living space. Because the minute you do that, that salt is just infectious. It gets on everything and then it's damp because it's it's soaking up water. Even in the hottest, most tropical areas of the world, it's it's just going to be damp and gross and itchy. And when it does dry out, it's real scratchy because of the salt crystals. And yeah, it gets pretty bad. So I know when I'm out at sea, uh, the name of the game is don't let salt water pass a certain line. I don't really have what you would call a wet locker on this boat for if you if you head on deck and you have your foul weather gear on and you're getting splashed, put a reef in or do whatever, normally you come down below and that wet weather gear goes into a specific locker. Sometimes it's the head, anywhere there it's going to drain and it can stay put and not infect the rest of things like your bed sheets, your pillows, your other clothes, all that stuff. I spend a lot of time trying to keep salt water uh, outside of, of the cabin. And it's not that easy on this boat, but I'm pretty successful with it. When you're not successful, that's when things can get pretty miserable. And I think that's what they were going through on the old uh, Sequoia for the last few last few weeks. And the, the funny thing is you can think you've gotten everything dry. And man, oh man, the minute the temperature drops a little bit, it's almost like a, a dew point sort of thing where the temperature drops, moisture increases, and then uh, everything gets just saturated, gross, and it starts to really smell as well. So things uh, they don't tell you about the old romance of uh, offshore sailing. Hmm. So big news on Sparrow is we, or I, I always say we, I pulled the winches off the mast and there was so much corrosion underneath I now actually have got to pull the mast off the boat so that I can hopefully get a welder in here or come up with a different plan I am thinking so essentially here's the problem you have three winches on the mast of Sparrow one of them is for the main halyard. One of them's for the jib halyard to pull and hoist up those sails. And then I have a third one, which is sort of a spare. Two of them are mounted on plates, aluminum discs that have been welded to the aluminum mast. And those two are on the side. The other one looks like a retrofit bolted one. And that's the spare that I'm not too worried about. When I pulled off the first one for the main sheet, I noticed that the underbody of the winch was actually cracked, which is made out of bronze. The problem is that the, the bolts that were holding both these winches to the mast were made out of stainless steel. And when you mix stainless and aluminum, you get huge amounts of corrosion that go on unless you protect it with things uh, like Teflon gel all that sort of stuff, or you seal them so that salt water can't get behind them. So what I found, and again, this is all my fault because I probably should have ripped these winches off when I first bought the boat and re-bedded them correctly. I did not. They were originally bedded with just some crummy silicone, and uh, there was obviously no Tef gel because every single one of those bolts, as I tried to uh, retract them, uh, snapped off. So they were pretty much have become part of the mass. Uh, but I essentially could just dig out huge chunks of aluminum that had corroded to dust. And, uh, it's a pretty bad scene up there. So both those winches, well, all three of them are off of the mast right now. Had a guy come look at them today and it looks like 
We may be able to weld new aluminum on there and then just core or thread new holes into it to bolt bolt the uh, winches back on. Or I am thinking the other route to go, which might or might not work, would be to, because the winches are not, the diameter of the winch is about an inch or two smaller than the actual diameter of this aluminum disc that's welded onto the side of the mast. And what I'm thinking is getting some G10 composite uh, fiberglass, which is as strong as steel or aluminum, and cutting out circles of that, bolting that to the outer edge of the existing aluminum disc, and then mounting the winches through the entire thing because you can thread that G10 as far as I know. It's so, it's so strong and robust. So that may be uh, a game plan rather than just welding more aluminum on. Uh, the benefit there, I think, would be that uh, essentially the, the bolts that I thread in there are not going to corrode, although I am going to bed them correctly with 5200 this time. So I don't know. I I'm gonna I'm gonna lead this one off to the experts and see what they have to say. Hopefully it's it's not devastatingly expensive to do this. But uh, luckily, working at a boatyard and living in a boatyard, taking the mast off, hopefully won't be full price. We'll have to talk to the boss about that one, I guess. But we we'll, we will see and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it will give me a chance also to rebuild the mast step underneath the compression post. I know I'm throwing a lot of words out there, but essentially, there's two types of boats out there. You have boats that have what's called a keel-stepped mast, where the mast goes through the deck, comes into the cabin, and then sits right on top of the keel. So it's basically you know one big post. And then you have a boat like Mighty Sparrow, which is called a deck-stepped mast. So the mast only sits on the deck of the boat. And then you have a compression post just underneath in the cabin, which goes down to the cabin sole or the cabin floor. And then you have a keel step underneath that, which is usually a pretty strong thing. Hold on one sec. Oh, man, work is never done here in the yard. Put up a mast today and... Uh, when we, when we lift up a mast, we always take the windex, which is the little pointy arrow on top, and then any other wind instruments that stick off of the mast so we don't uh, take them out with the wire from the crane. And then afterwards, I fly up there and, and then put them back in. But uh, sometimes when you reassemble those, they don't seem to want to work. Uh, with the instruments that they're trying to control, but in my experience... Uh, pretty much 10 times out of 10, it's always a loose connection on the boat and not not up on the mast. They make those pretty bulletproof, and they're stupid proof as well because you can only plug them in a certain way, and then that's you know you know you've got your connections. So, eh, just trying to console a couple of customers there. I told them uh, I can fly up there if uh, they can't find out the problem, but pretty much the problem is going to be a loose connection on the boat. So, word to the wise, top tip from the guy who flies. Yeah. But hopefully we won't have to fly. If we have to, who knows? We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, oh, man, now I've lost my place. I don't know what uh, what I was getting into and talking about. Oh, I think I was talking about the mass, but in any event, um yeah, so the mass is going to have to come down, but that's okay because I've really wanted to nip something in the bud. Uh, if if you've read the book, you might remember a side character named Colonel Clink, and Colonel Clink is basically all the wires that are inside of my mast. I have a lightning rod up there. I've got lights. I've got all sorts of stuff going on. Pretty standard. But none of them run into a conduit pipe and then down the mast. They used to, but the conduit pipe broke free on that first trip, hence Colonel Clink, because every time the mast moved more than a foot, clink, 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 clink. And uh, it's enough to drive somebody mad for sure. I've learned to live with it, but if I don't have to live with it anymore, I... Uh, 
Definitely don't want to. It involves essentially running a conduit pipe inside of the mast, housing all of those wires, and uh, essentially you've got a you've got a pop rivet or a rivet that that thing against the side of the mast, so there's just no more movement. And I tried a variation of that where you take all the wires, you pull them all out. And then you take zip ties and you take like a thousand zip ties so that, and you leave the tail end after you zip tie the wires together, you leave the tail end, which is about six inches long and it, it spirals around the whole thing. So that when you pull it back in, sort of that, that little tension keeps it away from banging against the side. That didn't work. That didn't work at all. And, uh, so that will give me a chance to do that. I also need to replace the lowers uh, the stays that uh, are connected low on the mast and probably probably look into replacing the uh, check stays that I have, which are sort of adjustable. You can, if you're on one tack, you can bring one up and tighten it down and it keeps the mast from flexing or pumping as it will. So there's a few things I want to look at, and obviously the mass step. I'd like to yank that out and rebuild it because it's just wood down there. And even though the bilge on Mighty Sparrow is typically always very dry, it's been a lot of years, it'd be nice to put something in there that's a little more stout and uh, maybe can, can beef things up a little bit and get me that confidence in this old vessel back because... You know, if you think about it, if you get the mast back in shape where it's looking really good, really stout, the mast step is looking great, really stout, bowsprit is already fully juiced up, and um, there is one other big project besides besides the little guys like solar panels and things like that, which is pretty easy. I want to take the boomkin off and take the Aries wind vane off and give that a full service, but there's stainless steel that I put I had built up here by a a guy named Bill and um, the only problem was I did not foresee making it so that the stainless kind of covered the area where the carriage bolts went through the wood and the boomkin sort of is it's hanging off the stern or the back of the boat and it's essentially holding the backstays as well as the wind vane now we do have a awesome, awesome blacksmith on the boat or on at the boatyard. And if I can yank all that off and get him to weld on another little stainless plate, then those carriage bolts are going through that, putting all the pressure on that and spreading the load out on the wood. Then we're talking some serious strength. We're talking Cape Horn sort of strength. Not that I've been diving into the charts. I, I've had to sort of step away from that for now and just keep keep my head into save money and get projects done mode. So it's essentially been work, 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 and try and sort out everything. And uh, the only big project I've, well, I wouldn't say it's a big project, but one of the projects that I did have completed this weekend besides fully buffing the sides making sparrow just look really nice i also was able to install thanks to my buddy brian down there in uh, south carolina a new brand spanking new gps unit little chart plotter a little garmin job and it's a touch screen i've been welcomed into the 20th century with this sucker and it's actually pretty cool uh it works, and it's got pretty in-depth charts, at least of the U.S., and yeah, I can't thank you enough, Brian. He um, gave me this. It was something he wasn't going to use, and then he went through all the trouble of making sure he could get me all the working connections and all the the harness lines, so to speak, to hook everything up. I just have to figure out how to make it plug and play with the AIS just for fun, I guess. I mean, I I don't really use a chart plotter very often out at sea, but I definitely, well, I don't even use it much when I go into port because it's down below. So 
I don't know. It's just nice to have. It's nice to have that that color screen, and it's new, and it's not going to fail. And I can buy chips for it that will give me all sorts of cool stuff. Because they, you know, there are times where I'm just sitting alone. It's the evening, and I'm down below, and I'm at the nav station, and I've got my paper charts, and I'm looking at those. But sometimes it's nice to just look at a little screen. And it's got a nice little seven and a half uh, inch LED screen, and it's pretty user friendly. Like I said, it's touch screen, which is cool. But it's updated. I don't know, and it looks good over there. It fits into the the little area where the old giant one was, and I think it's way less power hungry, which is nice. And yeah, it's 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 an update. Love it. You know, Sparrow loves it too. We'll uh, hopefully avoid any rocks or sandbanks or sandbars. Thanks to you, Brian. Appreciate it, bud. Cheers to you, man. Mmm. Oh, boy, that after work. After work uh, cocktail or after work beer. It just doesn't get much better. But you got to earn it. There's something about, something about working, you know, I, when you have like a full day off, I've been going through this thing on the weekends where sort of wake up and I try and get a few things done but I'm not working anywhere near as hard as I do during the week. And then eventually noon or whatever rolls around and it's sort of like, eh, it's a weekend, crack a beer. And um, it just doesn't doesn't taste the same, doesn't feel the same, doesn't feel like a reward. It feels more like uh, an excuse, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word for it. But when you do put in a crazy, crazy work day, you know, I... I typically, my, my schedule is wake up around four and get up and try and do some work on the books and all that sort of stuff, presentations, networking, whatever, crypto, I don't know, anything, uh, over some coffee and then try and get a little bit of a workout in. And then by six 30, go into work. Cause I know in the beginning of this, this stint up here in Maine, I was, I was sort of expecting to do uh, what I'd always done, uh, which is you work and then you get off of work and then you do like workouts and all that sort of stuff. And then you socialize and do all that and uh, and then go to bed and then rinse and repeat. But I don't know. I think it's just either my age is catching up with me or the fact that lunch is only an hour so I can't actually take a nap. Back in the day, I used to be able to do a 45-minute nap during lunch, and so that would allow me to be up at 6, work until noon, take a quick nap, back up, and then work until like 7 or 8 or 9, and then socialize until midnight, and then go to sleep and wake up at 6. And that was in my 30s. That is something I've had to come to grips with for sure, but I don't know. It's... uh, yeah, so now I've just sort of flipped everything. I, I essentially go to bed. I like to go to bed around like 7 or 8 o'clock in the uh, evening, and then, which right now it's 5.40, so it's uh, almost getting to bedtime, and then wake up as early as humanly possible so that I have a few hours before work to get all this other stuff done when it's quiet. Luckily, here in Maine, it's still, although the days are getting shorter now, uh, it's still pretty much light by about 4.30 in the morning, and so you can get anything and everything done in the quiet, quiet hours, which is quite nice, I must say. <sighs> but, yeah, I don't know. That's that's sort of, sometimes you just got to go with the flow. You can't fight against it, you know. You can't try and just do what you always did. You got to change it up a little bit. At least that's what I'm finding, and it's uh, it's been working. It's been helping, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm still feeling decently productive but right now I'm sort of trying to balance we're getting into the slow period of the summer so we've launched a couple of boats today we hauled a couple of boats we did this that and the other thing but it's one of those things where it's not a big hurry anymore after the 4th of July in Maine if you don't have your boat in it's not a whole lot of reason to put it in but uh, still some people want to get their boats in. They're just a little bit late, all that sort of stuff. And in any event, it's just sort of slow. And normally when it slows down here, I like to go back and spend some time with the family back in Michigan. The only problem is 
Sparrow is in need of so much updating and equipment and things that I just can't I can't afford really not to work at this point. And so I think I may just have to hard charge right through this whole summer and hopefully hopefully we'll get the lobster boat in and I can add that to the repertoire. Uh, always open to doing side work as much as I possibly can here in the yard, which is great. Um, so it's it's just one of those things where you just try and keep plugging away and um, and save as much as as humanly possible and and then spend it all on the boat as quickly as possible. <laughs> oh man, so that hopefully I can go back and go out to sea for quite a long time. I'm pretty sure that's that's essentially what's going to happen. I really I wanted to do I want to do this podcast road trip, but. Right now, with the price of fuel being what it is, I don't think uh, feasibly I can actually afford to do it. I may be able to do sort of a shorter version, maybe down the East Coast all the way to Florida, which would work out pretty well. There's quite a number of people that I want to talk to, and that would set me up for a few months. Because trying to do two episodes a week... While it is a challenge, it's not impossible. Um, it's been hard lately, but uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna get back into a rhythm here as soon as uh, I'm able to sit down with a few more people. But the game plan is to continue that. So if I can head off on like a two week or a three week road trip at some point before I actually set sail, because I don't set sail until October, late October, uh, and. Yeah, that would give me a little bit of time to head down the coast and hit up some very interesting people that I've known from my past and uh, be able to be able to do some interviews and pump all those out and then uh, and then sort of go from there. But I don't know. I just I it's funny. I'm stuck on this idea of doing that Atlantic Eight where you know I'm I'm basically ripping the trade winds and. You know, I used to, when I was younger, sailing those Hobie 16s, I can remember entering a race one time and uh, turn around the first mark, the upwind mark, and I headed off on this perfect broad reach and we're just steaming along, just absolutely flying. If anybody's ever sailed a Hobie 16, old school, rudders are humming, and just flying, you know, bow is about an inch out of the water. Or no, the bow is, yeah, an inch from pitch pulling. You know, the the windward pontoon is about an inch out of the water. You're absolutely just humming along, traveler all the way down, ease sheets and just flying. And uh, I remember getting to the point where I needed to jibe and just, just being like, nope, I'm going to keep riding this one out because this is a little too nice and just sort of abandoning the race. And I think that has carried with me in uh, a lot of ways as far as how I like to sail and my my essentially my goals when I'm sailing and it really is just to have a great sail and enjoy enjoy the time out there and I think the Atlantic 8 might just be what I'm looking for where you get that little touch of danger you got the North Atlantic you got the Gulf Stream you cross the Azores and then it's sort of Smooth sailing, you get the doldrums to mix it up. Then you do have to bash around into the north or southeast trades in the South Atlantic. But again, you just touch that southern ocean, ride a couple of westerlies, get over towards Cape of Good Hope, and then you just crank downwind all the way back. I mean, I don't know what could be what could be better? You know, you pile up the books, the podcasts, the audio books, maybe a few movies on the old hard drive, and you just go for it. I, I think, and it, I haven't measured it all out completely, but you know, it looks like it'd be about a 120, 140 day trip, depending on how the doldrums go and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know, I've, I've tried to think of other things that would make the trip a little more worthwhile. And, that's always sort of good. You know, you might be able to do a little plastics research or something like that where you drag a, a screen behind you, you know, every day for a few hours and pull that up and just, you know, just to get a little little measurement of uh, how much of that stuff's down 
along the whole way. Because if you're doing a figure eight, you're basically basically sailing around the North and the South Atlantic in a circle. So you do get a, a good gist of what's in the water out there, 14,000 miles or so. But in its essence, really, it's just just to go out for a nice, long, extended period out at sea with typically good winds, a little bit of action here and there at the middle, the end, and the beginning. But in the end, it, it really is, um, I don't know, it, it sounds like a, a pretty good route to lay down. And, you know, there's there's... There's a whole lot to be said about laying down the first route sort of thing, uh, typically when it's around the world or even bigger, like Randall Reeves doing the figure eight and and um, Matt Rutherford doing around the Americas. And hey, you know what? I, I was able to check my ego completely when I did the last trip, and so I have no trouble throwing out a sweet little rip around the North and South Atlantic and calling that my own. I don't even know if it's ever been done, so I shouldn't probably even say that, but... Not that it would be a big deal, but I think it would be a pretty good stepping stone for would-be solo sailors who would like to do the solo nonstop around the world to sort of cut their teeth a little bit and see if they're going to go crazy, jump off the boat, or if they're going to love every minute of it and uh, get back to port and just start refitting for the real thing. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe it'll become the entrance uh, you know, if you want to enter the Golden Globe in 2025, if they do it again, uh, you have to do the Atlantic Eight. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, these are maybe noble thoughts on my part. Who knows? But uh, we will see. We will see. So um, I've got a little bit of time right now. It's all about just getting to work and saving money and trying to live frugally as possible and try not to eat through. I'm trying, well, so I have a lot, obviously, of long-life food. I'm not touching any of that. The Mountain House meals and the Doomsday Prepper stuff, that's staying in the canned bacon. not touching any of that. But I am trying to peel through some of the cans of food and canned corn and canned, you know, this, that, and the other thing that all expire at the end of this year because I want to make sure if I do go out for an extended amount of time again, uh, I got fresh stuff because... I I remember reading in Knox Johnson's book, A World of My Own, how some of his old tins, towards the end of his voyage, she would hear this like pop and then and he knew it was one of his cans of corned beef or corn hash or whatever he had on there going bad. So I would not want to count on food and then have it all just going really, really bad in there, you know. A can of tuna that's uh, a year out of date. It's not something I'm going to tango with, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, but uh, those are those are sort of the updates, the projects. Ate some Maine lobsters the other night. They were fantastic. Holy cow, I've forgotten that. And uh, right now in Maine, lobster is selling for about $3.50 a pound, which is insane. I was sitting with my buddy captain jay and he was trying i i just asked him straight up i was like how is it possible for you to keep lobstering when fuel costs so much you got to pay your guys and lobsters are essentially free at this point and you know he's like well uh basically we're we're not making any money or i'm not making any money doing it but you got to keep doing it and i had i had sort of postured the question of well why don't why don't all the lobstermen just stop stop hauling and you know everybody agree to do that and then cut the demand or cut the supply of it and up the price back to what it should be and uh, he said well yeah basically you can do that for a little bit but eventually you're going to get people who go out there anyway and it, it typically just creates problems so who knows i'm going to try and get them on the podcast See if I can uh, grill them about this because it is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, the price of lobsters, I don't know if it's like a full-on commodity, but yeah, if if the price drops down to just such a crazy low where you can't make any money against what it costs you in fuel, wear and tear, and labor on the boat, 
And then why, how, I, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why I want to sit down with some of these captains and find out what their thoughts are on it because they're actually living through it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, last year, this time the price of lobsters was 6 $7, something like that on the dock. And grocery stores, it's obviously going to be a little higher. You get further away from Maine, it's going to be way higher. But here in Maine, you know, that's that's it's ridiculous to see that price so low. And I think right now, like a one pound lobster is cheaper than a Big Mac at McDonald's or something, which is nuts. It's absolutely nuts because the lobster is way better for you. It's one of the great sources of protein, iodine, I believe iron. I don't know. It's packed with all sorts of goodness and it tastes great and Normally, people think of it as a super fancy meal compared to Ronald's Steakhouse, as uh, a lot of my friends like to call it, which I always thought was pretty funny. Mm. Oh, holy cow. Well, so what I'm going to add on to this podcast is from a few days ago or a week or two ago, and I'm not 100% sure if I really should do this. Well, I, you know what? I... I think it's worth it because I think this is one of those honest sort of moments that uh, are, I don't know, maybe interesting, maybe not. Maybe I'm way off the wall, but uh, essentially a few weeks back, we're moving, we're shaking, we're we're dropping boats in like crazy, pre-4th of July, all that sort of stuff, and uh, I screwed up. I screwed up big time, and it was dangerous, and it was scary, and it cost a lot of money, and uh, and I ended up hopping on the microphone that night and talking about it a little bit, and uh, I don't know. I think it's worth I think it's worth throwing out there because I think it's a genuine moment, um, and to try and describe what happened right now wouldn't do any justice to me describing it the same day that it happened and all the feelings that uh, I was feeling when, you know, you're, you're trying to work as hard as you can, you're giving it your best and an accident happens and you know, those things do happen. And I, I get into it a, a little more, but I, I can remember plenty of times where, this happened where it was typically one of my staff members, something breaks or they screw something up. And I always tried to make sure that they felt uh, they knew that accidents do happen and it's not their fault. It wasn't like they were intentionally trying to do it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I rarely ever found myself in that position, but I definitely did just a few weeks ago. And so I want to share that with everybody because, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's valuable when, uh, when people screw up, you're going to learn a whole lot more from it and, uh, maybe it'll be pretty cool. So thanks for listening to this podcast. There's going to be a little add on right here, but, uh, other than that, we got more interviews coming, some pretty interesting stuff. And, uh, again, thanks everybody for supporting the podcast and here we go. Holy cow, did I screw up today. Welcome to another edition of the Sailing into Oblivion podcast. This one is going to be more of a current affairs sort of uh, episode as I pour myself an ice cold water to hydrate. It was about 80 degrees today in the yard and, uh, you know, it's Friday. So we're all rushing around trying to get things done, maybe get out of work a little early. And therein lies the problem. So I thought I would just come on board here and uh, share this little tidbit because uh, I'm definitely thinking about the things that I can learn from it, takeaways, all that sort of stuff. (sighs) And I'll probably tack it on to maybe a short little interview, hopefully with Murph, about bottom painting and the do's, the don'ts, the hows, the whens, and the whys. But before we get into that... So we launched, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine boats today. We had to haul a couple boats and then relaunch them. We had to put up three or four big masts. And uh, by about noon, we could sort of see, we could see the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. The old clocking out time was coming. 
but we still had a few things to do. And one of the masts that we put up today was a mizzen mast, so the second mast on this boat, about a 40-something footer. And uh, we put it up, we got it done, it was up there, but we missed something. I missed something. Uh, It had what's called a triadic, which is a halyard, or not, sorry, it's not a halyard, it's a stay, a wire that goes from the forward mast, the main mast, and it goes back to the top of the mizzen mast, and it's just an extra support, sort of glues the whole rig together. In any event, I missed it, didn't see it, we hooked everything else up, and uh, moved on to the next boat, the owners weren't there, and it was was a bit of a puzzle to put it together, but we thought we did it right, and uh, I know I definitely did, and we went from there, and Boom, we're running around, and as we started putting more hours in, you know, we the tide was starting to go out, we still had boats to do, so we ended up skipping lunch, and, you know, there is probably step number, or mistake number two, where, you know, y- you do have to take a break every once in a while, you know, I run around this yard quite a bit, and when I say run around, I mean physically running around because we have cars that have to be moved we have tractors that need to be grabbed and lots of stuff that needs to happen and anybody that's ever worked with me in the BVI or in Michigan or even here knows that uh, I've always felt that you can get to from point A to point B a lot faster if you're running (laughs) that boy is a running fool and uh yeah, so I'm running back and forth all morning. It's hot, I'm sweating, I'm hungry. And uh yeah, basically a little bit worn down. It's been a long week. We've been pushing, you know, nine, ten hour days. And it's sort of catching up, obviously, you know, it affects you mentally. And I think that was sort of lesson number one, takeaway number one is that uh you have to take a little bit of rest every once in a while. You know, it's a uh, marathon, not a sprint, even though this is a three or four month sort of, sort of job. It's one of those things where even in those, that's a long time to go, going full throttle, full steam ahead. And like it or not, I am no spring chicken anymore. I'm not 29. I'm not 35. I'm 43 years old. So I do have to watch out. Get a little tired, the brain gets a little, uh, you know, a little slow. You start missing this thing, that thing, and the work that we do around here is dangerous. We got cranes, we got lifts, we got big rigs, we got tractors, we got 20,000 pound boats, we got 500 pound mass getting hoisted in the air, and then you got me getting hoisted in the air as well. So, in any event, we get going, and there's lots of people around to compile things. It's 4th of July. There's a lot of parking around here. Cars coming in like crazy, blocking everything. We're starting to think, holy cow, are we going to even be able to launch any of these boats? So stress levels are sort of going up. So we got stress levels, and then we get this expectation of like, man, we can get out of here early and start our three-day weekend. If we can just keep going, keep pushing, so we don't eat, we don't have lunch, we don't take any breaks, we just keep going and going and going. People around, you're trying to be nice, enjoy, everybody's out for the fourth. And uh, we have to go back and attach this triadic before we launch this boat. So we get everything all sorted out, I head up there, I'm up in the air, I've got the triadic in my hand, pin doesn't fit pin we need accidentally went into one of the stays and this mast has a lot of stays it had uh three or four on each side uh back stays weren't hooked up and uh i had to go down swap things in and out had a mast step that had a pin in it and uh essentially yeah the uh i get down there i start easing off one of the turnbuckles and boom all of a sudden turnbuckle threads come out of the turnbuckle and before I know it all of a sudden that that wire is being pulled away from me and as try as I might I could not hold it up this is a you know 30 foot mast and uh, the mast came down crash boom bang everything slowed down to absolute milliseconds I'm watching this mast go down there's nothing I can do about I've seen a ton of masts go down on smaller boats normally, and it has happened on bigger boats, but uh, 
This was the only one I was actually holding on to ever. And to see that thing go down and then see, you know, a nice 50 foot sailboat just in the firing range of this mast that's coming down. Luckily, it was just far enough away that uh, the mast did not hit that boat. So I lucked out there. Also, I lucked out by the fact that there were no people down on the ground underneath where that mast would be. There was actually no one. And uh, the mast basically fell down, and I don't even know how it did this, but basically essentially bounced off of the ground, and uh, it hit just in the right way. The radar didn't do any damage. The only damage to this thing, and I thought for sure we're, we're going to be looking at a, a, a mass that's snapped in half. It's just basically fallen Oh, from a boat down onto a crane uh, onto the ground. And, um, yeah, just a couple of areas on the little plastic track. Those can be replaced really easily. Um, one little old-school halogen light that needs to be pulled out. That can be replaced easily. And, um, yeah, a couple other screws that need to be tightened. But other than that, there's no damage at all. None, No damage on the boat except for exposing this plate that the mast step rested on was actually just uh, bolted in with like little, it looked like it was bolted in with little springs. It had maybe a quarter inch of bite from these bolts into the deck with no backing plate, nothing. I don't know. It was, uh, when the guys saw that, you know, I'm up there just shaking. Like, I'm, I, I can't believe what's happened. You know, we're just going full till. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. All this chaos is going on, and I, I got a, a little bit of a, a laceration on my hand, but nothing nothing to write home about. But uh, we get through that, and, yeah, there you were taking pictures of everything because, you know, insurance and all that sort of stuff has to get involved. But, uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a less than expensive uh, fix. I kind of feel bad because, you know, the people were up here. Try and enjoy the boat. Luckily, it is a catch, so they can still go and enjoy the boat. Um, you know, two masts are better than one when it comes to that. But, you know, there was a lot of work that went into it. There was an electrician there who was rewiring that radar and a few other things. And, uh, obviously, that all got ripped right out <laughs> of the boat. And, um, yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty, pretty rough. You know, I don't... Uh, in a serious way, I don't screw up a whole lot at work. I try my best not to. I like to be the type of person that, uh, or the type of employee that you can count on to do it. You don't have to hover over them, and uh, they will get the job done. They'll do it right. But, it, you know, every once in a while, accidents do happen. And one of the first things I thought when, when the guys were sort of coming up and, and consoling me a little bit, they could see that I was definitely shaken, and, uh, and for sure I was. Um, you know, I thought back to all the years where I was the, the boss in charge of the sailing staff and all that sort of stuff and always telling them, hey, listen, if you break something, if you screw something up real bad, just tell me, own up to it, and uh, I'm not going to be mad, not even for a second. But if you try and hide something, well, then we're going to have a little bit of a problem. So uh, I don't know. I was I was very thankful, and the owner of the boat, he wasn't mad, uh, which was cool. They, they, uh, they were... Yeah, they were they were definitely cool about it. They understand, and you know that's what we have insurance for and all that sort of stuff. So it was uh, it was an unfortunate accident. It happened, and uh, you know that's just uh, how it goes sometimes. But it's the takeaways. It's what you learn from it to make your way into the future that uh, I think really counts. You know, it's. Uh, sort of changing changing my attitude when we're doing stuff like that. And uh, I think for me, big thing is, you know, not to overexert myself uh, quite so much. As much as I think I can run around like I'm uh, 22 years old, I, I know I can't. So maybe slow it down a little bit. Definitely make sure you're taking a lunch break midday because uh, that absolutely is crucial. And then... Um, you know, I think also just uh, just slowing down a little bit. Slowing down when you're when you're dealing with something that can have 
catastrophic consequences. Take a minute, step back, look at what you're about to do, and then make sure it's exactly what you want to be doing. You know, I can still remember reading Knox Johnson's book, uh, A World of My Own, and he talks about that. Whenever something big broke on the boat, the last thing he wanted to do was just dive right in and try and fix it, unless it was an absolute emergency. For him, it was, let's step back, let's think, let's plan, um, you know, let's, let's not make a mistake and try and do something to fix this real fast and then find that we're actually making it even worse. And so that's sort of the, uh, I don't know. I think that's the, the way I want to be able to dive into two things sort of going forward. And, and I don't know, I think those are sort of the, the things that I've learned also, obviously that I've, I work with a fantastic team of people that is uh, absolutely evident. I mean, everybody's real supportive. And, I, you know, it's it's pretty easy. It's a situation where higher-ups could easily fly off the rails and start getting all mad and, you know, all these sort of things could be going on. But in the end, you know, nobody gets hurt, all that sort of stuff. It's only money. Boats and boat parts can be replaced. So, uh, and accidents do happen. But when you have a team that supports you like that and – and even some of them sort of came up and were like, hey, you know, probably shouldn't uh been running around and not had that break. Or, you know, maybe maybe I take some of that blame as well. And to have coworkers uh, say that is uh, an absolute huge thing. And it definitely made me think a lot about when I was in charge and people would screw up if I ever owned up to that and said, hey, you know, I know I said that to guests a lot because I always felt like as the manager, I was sort of the the last line. And so if one of my guys screwed up, it's actually me screwing up. But that's sort of a service-oriented way and not a 100% genuine uh, I think that's almost even a little bit ego-driven. But when you go and you pull your staff aside and say, hey, you know, I got to take some of that blame, bud. Uh, it wasn't 100% you. You know, I, I could have done this or this or this. It says a lot about that person. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I I hope, I can only hope uh, that that I was sort of that, that type of person as they were with me today. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. It uh, so learning that I do work with an absolutely uh, phenomenal team because, you know, it's it's pretty easy to have have a good attitude and everything's all good when the whole machine is is running smooth and there's no hiccups. But character is made when uh, when you're up against it. I don't know who said that, but it is really something that I think does ring true when. When the chips are down and you're still stepping up and you're taking that high road, it really, really shows the type of person you are, you know. And that's something we got to think about. Something I'm going to think about. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those one of those things. So I I really just wanted to kind of I guess vent a little bit about that because it does feel a little good, you know. I. Talk to a few of the guys up here for a little bit, but, you know, mostly the advice was, yeah, get over it. Don't worry about it. Own it. It's fine. And, hey, it does happen. Um, we just hope it doesn't happen very often. So that's what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to try and enjoy the rest of my weekend. Kick back. Relax. We got some great people on the dock. We're going to do some sailing tomorrow. I can't wait. I'm really excited. Then I get to go out, see some old friends up in uh, – up in the countryside this weekend for 4th of July, and we'll start fresh on Tuesday morning. So really looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll uh, this will be tied right to something. So whoever I'm sitting down with next is up right now. Have a great 4th of July, everybody, and uh, thanks for all the support.